Welcome to our retail industry webinar. I hope everyone's having a great day. Welcome everybody. Um, before we delve into what the last 18 months has taught us about the retail industry and we commence the intros, I'd like to thank you all for attending the session today and look forward to discussing some of audience questions um, at the end. So, um, just like to introduce our guest speaker. Thank you very much, Gareth, uh, for uh, participating today and giving us your time. Uh, Gareth has spent most of his career in the retail industry. This has included stints with Australia's largest retailers, Woolworths, and Australia's largest telco, Telstra. At Telstra, he was responsible for explaining the digital disruption of the retail industry to its many retail customers. And that's where I met Gareth. To that end, he has authored six research reports and established the annual Retail Innovation Summit in partnership with Microsoft, Adobe, Grant Thornton and Nora. He has also held leadership positions with smaller retailers, including as CEO of a chain of sporting goods stores. Throughout his career, Gareth has been passionate about learning and educating the next generation of leaders. He has taught at universities in Sydney and Shanghai and believes that if retail businesses are to thrive in the, 30, uh, in the 21st rather century, they need to acquire new skills not normally associated with the industry. Gareth holds two master's degrees and is a PhD candidate at the University of Sydney, where he is researching consumer collaboration in last mile delivery. In 2019, Gareth co-founded and became CEO of Think Uncommon. Think Uncommon helps retailers with the process of innovation. Think Uncommon believes that there is plenty of advice and information available to retailers on what they should be doing to innovate, but not enough on how to actually do it. So welcome, Gareth, and thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Fiona. Great introduction. Really appreciate it. It's almost like I wrote it myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, so, Gareth, the retail industry has just been through one of the most tumultuous 18 months in its history, as you would agree. Across the world, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced retailers to adopt to an extraordinary set of trading conditions. Today's webinar, we'll explore what lessons were learned and how will the experience of 2020-21 equip the retail industry to face the challenges of a post-COVID-19 world? Yeah, well, thanks, Fiona. It's a uh, real here. privilege to share this with, with everybody on the, on the call today. Um, and hopefully these few thoughts that we have about the last 18 months in retail might provoke a question or two from those that are on the call. Please drop, drop them in the chat. It's live. Um, we'll give you a live response um, and it should be quite interactive. So let me just talk a bit about um, who I am a little bit more, I think Uncommon, founded by myself and Andrew Smith. Andrew's based in the US. Um, I base myself here in Sydney. About 50% of our business comes from the US and about 50% from APAC. Um, 
and uh, 50% from retail companies and then 50% from their suppliers. So we're pretty active in the space and we focus on retail innovation. That's, that's our space. We think that's where retailers need uh, the most assistance. So, um, and just, I won't say any more about me because Fiona gave me that fantastic introduction. So let me uh, move straight into it. Firstly, what is 2020 and 2021? They've actually been very good years for retailers generally. And I'll, I'll qualify that by saying it's also been the last year for a number of retailers. And that's very sad. So retailers involved in the travel industry, in, in hospitality, serving tourists, or who were unable to adapt their businesses to online delivery, a lot have had a really tough time and some don't exist anymore. But for the majority of um, business, retail businesses, it's been a, a very good couple of years from three perspectives. Firstly, retail, I think, has found its social purpose during the pandemic. Um, health workers and retail supply chain workers really kept the country going over the last 18 months. When we were all locked down, it was the retail supply chain that kept us fed, kept us supplied with all the goods we needed. It's given a sense of pride to the retail industry. My son works in a supermarket, for example. He often questions, what the hell am I doing here? He's always <laughs> often looking for other things to do. But last year, he felt the purpose of retail. So you've got an industry that's feeling a bit of pride now, for maybe the first time for a long time. The second thing we saw in the last 18 months and why this has been a good time for retailers is retailers have demonstrated that with their backs to the wall in a crisis, they actually can innovate. This is a criticism that's often tabled at the retail industry. They can't innovate and they fail because of it. But the last 18 months showed that when their backs are to the wall, the retail industry can do things. A lot of retailers went online for the first time in the last 18 months or enhanced their digital platforms or offered click and collect for the first time or for instance um, showed customers where the stock was in their network for the first time online lots of innovation went on in the last um, 18 months which has been a very good thing for retailers and taught them that they actually can do it last but last last but not least is sales um, in australia it's been a record period for sales in retail. And that's the same in most countries of the world. China was the biggest rise in retail sales, but Australia had a biggest, biggest increase on the year before on record. Um, and the reasons are pretty obvious. We've had a big stimulus to consumer spending, about $80 billion the government has spent to stimulate the economy. And there has been nowhere else to spend it apart from retail. Um, no travel, largely no hospitality, and restrictions on events. So lots of money went into retail and into some strange categories. We all know about hardware. We all know about home office. But jewellery, for example, has had a fantastic um, 18 months um, during the pandemic. So all in all, it's been a good time for retail. And when retailers say they've been doing it tough, um, that must mean they're in a particular corner of the retail industry because broadly the, re the industry has done really well on a number of, number of fronts. But at the same time, the industry has changed and it's probably changed forever. 
The most obvious change is the growth in online sales as a proportion of total sales. In Australia, as an example, uh, online sales were roughly 12%, 13% of total retail sales going into the pandemic. During the pandemic, they've come around 20, 21, 18, 19, around that percent of sales. They've grown about 50% in the period. They're likely to come back a bit as a percentage of total sales, but their proportion of total sales has now become significant. Online sales, instead of just being the icing on the cake, are now part of the main game. They're part of the main battleground about how you take on your competitors. So the whole emphasis on online has changed. But it's had flow-on effects. Um, I'll come on to logistics in a minute. But it's had flow-on effects for the nature of the retail store itself. What the last 18 months has taught retailers is where the transaction happens is increasingly unimportant. So where I buy something is less important than the experiences I have on the journey to buying that thing. So it's caused a movement among retailers to reassess the amount of actual space they need for their stores and also to increase the experience level in those stores that remain. And included in that experience level is blending digital and physical. Customers know now how to do digital interactions with retailers and they want to translate that into their store experience. The second thing that's changed and it's changed big time and I think is an emerging one of the biggest implications of all is the fragility of retail supply chains. As Fiona said, I've been a retailer most of my career and the last 30 years has been a, an inexorable kind of shift towards Asian supply chains for retailers. This wasn't always the case. I, mean, I remember uh, going up the Pearl River on a ferry in about 1999 on my first sourcing trip to mainland China. And we went to Shenzhen. We traveled an hour in a minibus on uh, a freeway that had horses and carts on it. There was absolutely nothing on this freeway either side and there was a factory at the end. And we did a deal at the end of the freeway. We came back. That was my first deal in mainland China. Now, every retailer in Australia, every retailer around the world is has been seduced by these Asian supply chains. And it's obvious to see why. The quality of the goods coming out of these countries that used to be third world countries, some of them, uh, is now very, very good. There's been uh, increasing efficiencies in shipping Due to, due to efficient containerization, improvements in communications between countries due to uh, internet uh, speeds improving and so on. But most importantly, the reduction in trade barriers. So why wouldn't you source from low cost, high quality Asian sources when all those other, um, other things are in place to facilitate that? And that's what retailers have done. But once you make your supply chain long, you make it vulnerable. To shocks and that's exactly what's happening now as soon as a chain drops in that long link uh, uh, sorry a link in the long chain drops you have problems so retailers are assessing now how they can use data better how they can collaborate better and how they can bring supply closer to customers um, the source of demand there's also implications for last mile um, the last mile performance of many of our um, mainly logistics providers 
quite frankly, has been woeful um, during uh, the last 18 months in Australia. Waiting, uh, people on the call, if you're living in Australia, you've probably had the experience of waiting five days for something ordered to come across town, never mind come from another state. Five weeks in cases that I could mention uh, of my own experience of things coming um, coming from another state into Sydney. So last mile performance has been woeful generally, and customers will not accept that. And retailers can't afford to continue that level of performance, and they're assessing how they can make that better in the months ahead. The third thing, uh, so supply chain, to summarise that, supply chain has become a new battleground. Retailers will need to assess these long Asian supply chains and they'll also need to reassess how they do last mile because it's not it had, didn't work too well. The third thing is the war for talent. Like many other industries, um, the great resignation is on. I saw an article online um, last week saying it isn't on. It is on, let me tell you. Uh, if you're working in the tech industry, has there ever been an easier time to, to move jobs? There hasn't. And the same in the retail industry. Um, another one of my sons works in hospitality. They, of course, have been have been uh, furloughed for a few months, and he is a GM uh, of a particular venue. His managers have taken that furlough time to decide they want to do other things. One wants to study, wants to go overseas. So he's now got to imply, employ sorry, a new management cohort. Retailers generally have lost their overseas students. They've lost their backpackers. They've lost a big lump, lump of their talent pool. Plus, they've also got other people in their talent pool looking across to see where the grass is greener. So the war for talent is on too. Retailers have got to think about making their places better places to work, to attract talent. So now lots of innovations just happened. Um, a lot of retailers have done great innovation during the pandemic, but this isn't the year to give up. This isn't the time to give up on innovation because as well as what I've already mentioned, there's a lot of other things in play that are changing how retailers need to address their market. Firstly, we are in a recovery phase um, and the economies are, are coming back right around the world. But the recovery isn't U-shaped. Normal recovery, you go up, you go down, you come back up again, U-shaped. We're in a K-shaped recovery. That means there's a lot of people out there who lost their jobs during the pandemic, who spent all their savings. They're coming back to maybe a lower level of employment than what they used to. They've got new economic circumstances that they need to deal with, and retailers will need to address that. At the other end of the scale, the people, for instance, in the tech industry, who haven't had a day out of work, have made great money because the sales have been good, and they're in very good financial circumstances. So again, retailers need to adjust to that. The, when the economy changes, when the mix of economic conditions change, that affects what retailers need to do and they need to respond. The biggest one, I think, is this middle slide. Consumers are reassessing their buying habits. Most of us walk through our retail lives sleepwalking. We stick with the same brands. We go to the same retail stores um, almost reflexively. We do it out of habit. Uh, I know me and probably a lot of you 
we go to the CBD to shop, but we go along the same ant track every time, the same stores every time, and we do the same online, unless something happens to disrupt that pattern. In physical retail, it's things like a new format coming to town that is just better, just offers better value than, the, than what's currently available. It happened a few years ago in Sydney with Sephora when they opened on uh, Martin Place. They disrupted that whole cosmetics um, retail environment. If you had a, a, an ant track that took you to the major department stores, Sephora was added to that ant track because there were brands you couldn't get and there were prices you weren't used to. So everybody's retail experience has been disrupted. Some people have tried online for the first time. Some people have tried the good online brands for the first time. They're reassessing that ant track. They're reassessing their buying habits. Retailers need to be able to respond to that. And finally, technology doesn't stop evolving. It doesn't stop maturing. And a lot of technologies have kind of matured and become viable during the last 18 months. And now uh, are really a commercial proposition for a lot of retailers. For example, hybrid cloud, but I'm also thinking about things like AI, machine learning, becoming much more mainstream now. If your competitors get that and use it to serve their customers better or run their business more efficiently than you, you're gonna be a disadvantage. So you need to get on that bandwagon. Now, will the negative narrative return? Um, look, I've been in round retail many, many years. And in the last 10 years, prior to the pandemic, there was a very negative narrative about the retail industry. They can't innovate. They're going to die. Online's going to take them over. Um, they're irrelevant in the modern digital world. And retailers actually didn't do much to dispel that narrative. Um, retailers weren't that innovative. Um, a lot went broke. I won't mention some high-profile names, but you can probably think of a few high-profile names yourself that went broke because they weren't keeping up with uh, the changes in the world. But they've just had this burst of innovation. They're feeling pride about their role in, and their purpose in society, and they've got their, most of them, many of them have had record sales and profits. They're feeling pretty good. Will the negative narrative return about retail? Well, there's three risks we see. One is the top picture, the puppy asleep on the couch. Um, you know, a lot of retailers might be feeling right now, it's time to have a rest. We worked really hard over the last 18 months to keep Australia supplied. We're just going to relax now and enjoy a bit of the fruits of our labour. Well, that's a danger. When you do that, somebody else isn't sleeping and they, they eat what should be yours. So sleeping on the couch is going to sleep is, is a big risk for retailers. The second one is hubris. And that's the picture of everybody chapping, clapping and cheering. There's a lot of retailers now are gonna think that their success in the last 18 months was due to their genius. They're, and they're gonna be going to conferences, they're gonna be writing think pieces for the Financial Review, uh, explaining what a genius set of decisions they made to make those record profits they've just enjoyed. They may mention peripherally the $80 billion stim stimulus. They may mention peripherally that people couldn't travel or go to major events. The fact that the environment was a big lift for them, 
But once you start going to conferences and telling about everybody how successful you've been and how smart you are, somebody else is innovating and taking your customers. So hubris is a big risk for the industry. The third one is that the retail industry, if I may say this, and this is as a retailer, reverts to type, which is cost-cutting. Cost-cutting is retailers' first instinct um, when when they look at changing how they do things. And um, I'll explain in a minute why I think that's the wrong focus, but it is natural to run your business as lean as possible. Retailers do run on low net margins, you know, between three and 5% generally, net margin on sales, um, net return on sales, I should say. Uh, that's low, that's skinny, and it's sensible to keep your costs under control. But to make that the focus of business improvement is a mistake, which I'll explain in a minute. We believe that innovation is a retailer's prerogative. Um, retail is generally a zero-sum game. So retail in Australia, about a $360 billion market, and it moves in a normal year at about GDP. So 2 or 3%, it'll move up. Uh, year by year. So when we innovate, we take share and we need to take share to grow our business because the industry only grows as about GDP. We do, we take share when we innovate. We do something different. We do something better than our competitors. We take their customers and that gets us on a roll and we keep doing it and we keep doing it. And before long, the competitor is in a bit of trouble. When they don't innovate, they lose customers. The only way they can survive is by getting their current customers to spend more, and that's not sustainable. And where that manifests itself is about two or three years down the track when their customers just desert them. It, we call that the retail death spiral, and you've seen it yourself. It's when a retailer starts relying on sale activity to get you into the store, their basic offer isn't as good as the innovative opposition anymore, so they discount and discount uh, to try and get more customers through the store, but their margins are lower, they discount again, and it's just a death spiral. So we think innovation is a retailer's prerogative. Um, but generally, as I said, apart from the last 18 months, retailers haven't been that good at it. Um, they, but they do excel at process. This is retailers' first language. Retailers excel at getting things done. The people who excel and who get promoted in a retail business are the goods, are the people who are good at executing, keeping the floors clean, getting the tickets right, getting the stock out on the floor, receiving deliveries, etc. Um, we thought this. We thought if we could turn retail innovation into a process, then retailers could excel at it. And we've developed this thing called the reframe process. Um, and I won't go into that now. We might have a question on that later. We've also, what does it do? Well, what it allows retailers to do, essentially, I won't read the slide, is get more innovation into the pipe, um, allow them to get more relevant innovation out of the pipe, do it cheaper and do it quicker. And we based the process on retailers we saw around the world that actually do run their innovation via a process, like Amazon, like Walmart, like Starbucks in the USA, Nike, Ikea, and a few others. 
that is uncommon in the retail industry to do it that way, hence the name of the business. But this is also based on um, accepted theories like agile, behavioral economics, um, lean, etc. And there's a book. If you want to buy the book, you can buy it at just about every bookshop online, I think, or on our website. And this takes you through the process and gives you more detail. So, look, that's my view on uh, the last 18 months in retail. I think it is time to reflect. We all know uh, we, we all know what's gone on, but what does it mean? That's our views on it, and we'd be really uh, interested to hear um, what, if you've got any comments or questions. Thank you very much, Gareth. Um, that's very insightful. And uh, as Gareth said, uh, if you have any uh, comments or questions, please put them in um, the question box uh, on the top right-hand corner. Uh, so while we wait for some questions, um, I just wanted to pick up on a few uh, things that you mentioned. Um, definitely last mile. I've um, you know, been in the uh, technology and telco industry for over 10 years and I've always associated last mile with um, a from a technology perspective like fibre last mile. It's interesting to understand that it can also be um, used in uh, the logistics sense of uh, things as well and it's very crucial. Um, in terms of last mile, I uh, decided to to buy online um, during the pandemic. Uh, I was always reticent, living in a Art Deco inner city building. Um, I didn't find the last mile experience that positive, um, Garrix, to be honest. Uh, and I'm not sure if um, the retail industry and the logistics industry can come together to really solve that. Um, it's yeah it was very difficult in terms of picking up my parcel having it stolen um waiting for it uh messages um being inconsistent and um i don't know if you want to comment on that but the other insight i wanted to pick up on was the great resignation and um i think it's definitely uh something that uh, the tech industry and particularly vmware has experienced and i i was part of that um i chose to become um or join vmware as sassy sales specialist in the last 18 months so i think this time has uh really made a lot of um employees or people in general just uh, reassess and think about where they're at and where they want to be yeah look i'll, I'll pick up on that last mile point because I do think it's really, really important for retailers. First point is, why would you want to contract the only customer contact in the in the customer journey to um, you know a fifteen dollar an hour courier? Why would you want to do that? Why would you not want to make it, especially if you're selling a premium product, a premium experience that they would that would mirror something they might do in the store? So I think, uh, and Ron Johnson, the former VP of Apple stores, has just started a business on that uh, theme in the US, which is doing exactly that, trying to match the brand experience of the delivery with the brand experience that uh, a customer would expect uh, from the store. So I think that's one element of it. Mm -hmm. The second element of it is um, the collaboration with customers. So with the best will in the world, delivery to a consumer residence is a difficult thing for a logistics company or for a retailer if they run it themselves. 
Um, it's it's hard to do because you're dealing mm. with locations where you don't know if people are home. They don't necessarily have good access. They don't necessarily have good places to leave goods securely if you're not home. And people dread being carded. So this whole there's a whole chain of things you've got to do. Plus, you've got to set up systems, processes to make that happen. And they're not cheap, and they're not uh, they they require resources. So I think there's opportunities, and this is the area of research I'm interested in, for retailers to collaborate with customers to get them to uh, adopt location-aware apps. So, for instance, yeah. you know as the deliverer that Fiona isn't home when you thought she was going to be home. Uh, therefore, you may want to send her a message to say, do you really want me to deliver now or should I send this somewhere else? Or to encourage customers to actually click and collect or use lockers. Um, that sort of thing is collaboration with customers. Technology can facilitate it. And I think um, retailers will be doing that more and more because what the research shows, if you get a bad delivery, a bad last mile delivery experience, 34%, I think it is, of customers will consider changing brands. They'll con change, consider changing retailers. And it might be a courier company that let them down, but the retail brand is the one that suffers. Interesting. Um, just a little change of pace, uh, Gareth. I note with interest that in May 2021, the research company Roy Morgan reported that during 2020, more than 75% of Australians ate takeaway food in a given four-week period. And um, this percentage actually rose significantly from 63% the previous year, with, um, would you believe, pizza being one of the front runners. In fact, one of our recent um, VMware SD-WAN uh, customers, uh, which we partnered with a large telco, was a large pizza fast food chain, uh, which actually supports the importance of technology for effective route to market and, and last mile, as you said. So speed is critical to customer satisfaction and sales, and we've been able to assist with that um, and enable that. Who do you think um, were the, uh, the those that gained um, and those that lost? So fast food, we see, was one of the, the gainers in this um, pandemic uh, in terms of retail. Who, who do you think um, lost out? Well, okay, winners and losers. So you can talk about that at category level. And the categories, everybody knows the categories that won in, during the pandemic. They're grocery, they're um, hardware, sports. Uh, you mentioned uh, QSR, quick service retail. I mentioned jewelry. So a lot of categories are obvious winners. But I'm not, not so much interested in that because that's the wind. You know, that's the tide. That's the peak. That's the stuff. A lot of people are going to be speaking at conferences and convincing mm -hmm. the audience that they were the genius when they weren't really. I'm interested in the ones that gained share, the ones that did better than their counterparts uh, during the pandemic. And there's a few characteristics to them, but the most important was they went in with a digital platform. So the the, the ones that already had a good digital platform going in were the ones that really prospered. Um, the ones that were playing, mm. and this applies to all sectors, some apparel, for example, apparel was one of the sectors that didn't do so well when the pandemic started, but then it started to recover. Um, 
and the the ones that recovered were the ones with the decent digital platforms. The yeah. ones that were playing catch up were the ones that really had a terrible digital platform. So that was the first thing. But the second one was the ability to innovate. Some retailers just can't do it. They don't have the culture. They don't have the processes to get innovation happening successfully. And they also trailed. So, uh, yeah, I saw, uh, we saw people in the same sector, be it apparel, be it grocery, be it jewellery, be it, um, you know, even little cafes. Um, some little cafes went great in the in the um, in the pandemic, and others really went out of business and lost you know lost the lot, which was really sad to see. Yeah. But yeah. the common denominator there was digital platform and the ability to innovate. That reminds me of um, a quote from the CTO of Vodafone Idea, who was quoted saying that connectivity is like oxygen during this um, time of the pandemic, uh, just highlighting how crucial connectivity and, um, you know, technology is for survival. Um, from what I've, I've been back in the office now uh, three weeks, um, from what I've observed in the Sydney CBD, many high-end stores have spent the lockdown refurbishing their store to ensure a great in-store experience. Just wondering how central is technology to a, un, um, to a unique in-store experience? And is it is it the new way that we're going to, that bricks and mortar stores um, will be able to survive and thrive? Yeah. Well, in the book, we talk about technology a lot. And I think we just got to set the bounds properly here because technology is a fantastic facilitator of innovation. It's not the be all end all. So customers who have seen a bright, shiny thing uh, at a conference or seen it at a competitor and want to apply it in their business are doing the wrong thing. They should think first about what they're trying to achieve and then identify the, the technology they need to achieve the thing that it is they want to do. But as far as applying technology into the in-store experience, I think it's going to be really important generally because, um, as I said, the, the fundamental principle is where the transaction happens is becoming irrelevant. In, in the future, I expect to be able to travel into CBD um, and buy something and have it there before I get home. That, because logistics and comms and connectivity allow that to happen. Um, there's no reason why that couldn't happen. And imagine what that frees up. It imagine us it it imagine it frees us up having to fight the traffic at one of the big shopping centers, a Moor Park or a Ringer Mall, queuing up for a Macquarie Center, queuing up for a parking spot running around the mall, loading your car up, and then driving home again. It frees you up to shop more locally. It frees retailers up to have smaller spaces, but it means that those spaces must be more interactive and experiential. And uh, I think you can see the start of this now in the motor vehicle industry. The motor vehicle industry is a one where you, traditionally you had to travel to Parramatta Road, was, uh, you know, the Auto Alley. Uh, was the big car buying capital of Sydney for, for many, many years. A long way for some people to get there. And then you had to trudge down those streets to see where the cars are. Now, that's completely flipping. If you go to Manhattan now, 
you'll see most of the major brands with retail like fronts, um, you know, in very small retail spaces, but all enhanced by technology. So you can do, you know, VR, uh, you can do AR in these places. You can see what the car might look like with your options on it. You can experience the drive. Ford has a has a has an experience center in the Westfield. It's still called the Westfield Center, I think, in the new um, the twin you know, the new uh, World Trade Center um, shopping center, Oculus, I think it's called. That, and that's that is it's not. I'm not getting confused here. I know Oculus is the thing, but I think that center is called the Oculus as well. Okay. So um, Ford have one there. So I see car yards morphing into shopping center stores and then becoming more experiential and the facilitator will be technology. Before I get on to uh, the audience questions, um, my final question is, um, we, we've had new vocab uh, enter our lexicon like click and collect or store to door, which is actually a phrase used by one of VMware's SD-WAN large pet stores. Um, who partnered with Uber to deliver same-day delivery of products. Just wondering, uh, Gareth, customer behaviour and expect expectations have definitely changed. Um, what new changes are actually here to stay and what will we do differently um, and what does the future look like for retail? Well, that's, a, that's the, uh, as they used to say, the $64,000 question or it's the really the $360 billion question. Because, um, you know, as I said, consumer behavior or shopping behavior in retail um, is very habitual. You know, we generally shop with the same retailers and buy the same things unless something forces us to reassess that. But mm -hmm. what we've had is this great reassessment. And the thing about consumers is they know value when they see it and they flock to it like heat-seeking missiles. I mentioned that example of Sephora earlier on, but another example I can give you is, and this, this is what brought it home for me, and it's a physical example, but I'm going to draw the analogy to what's going on in the, at the moment in a minute. So this was uh, a, a new supermarket in Brooklyn. I, I took three groups of customers there um, from the UK, Australia, and China um, in early 2020, just before the pandemic was starting. And one of the stores was Wegmans. Wegmans is a really good supermarket uh, from the US um, and has some innovative things in it. And we took those three groups of customers over a weekend. So I went three times uh, and each time they had 38 registers, 38 checkouts working. The place was absolutely pumping every day. Thousands of customers are going through that store every day. And I reflected every one of those customers was shopping somewhere else two months previous because that was a new supermarket, new to market. People change their habits if they see better value elsewhere. Now, value is a big topic. People calculate that subjectively. But I think people have been exposed to better value, better value ways to shop over the last 18 months, and a proportion of that's going to stick. Yeah, sure, some will still want to go back to their old Antrek their old habitual behaviours, but some will have seen new value and they will stick. Now, part of seeing new value is seeing it only once. If I can get next day delivery, same day delivery, or two hour delivery, as you can now get as more or less standard in a US 
urban area, I'm not going to accept five days anymore across town. Or, mm. um, so I think people will switch based on their assessment of value and their expectations of what that value should be. Thank you. Um, so just turning to the audience uh, questions and comments, we do have a few on click and collect, which we will um, get to. Uh, but one we have from um, uh, Amelia Romeo, who's a CEO of Ericsson. Um, thank you for an insightful session. Uh, technology evolution has given life to smart manufacturing, making the introduction of local manufacturing a plausible proposition for Australia. What role do you see smart manufacturing play in the retail space going forward, particularly as a solution to the supply chain fragility? If time allows, do you see the, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have read that. Do you see the big retail uh, chains setting up their own local smart manufacturing? Okay. So look, first thing is retailers generally aren't manufacturers. Some are. So if you think of Apple, they're a manufacturer. If you think of a brand like Patagonia, they're a manufacturer, but they're in the minority. The majority of retailers are merchants. So they buy things from other people, they put an assortment together and they put it on show for their customers. But um, I think the general question is about where supply is sourced from. Um, I think in most industries, retailers are going to be looking to be more agile, to respond to demand better. That means bringing supply closer to demand. And I think that means onshoring uh, a lot of manufacturing. Um, there's many, many things that Australia doesn't make now that we made 20 years mm. ago. I think some, you'll see a lot of that coming back to Australia, not necessarily manufactured by retailers, but manufactured by other parties that can supply retailers in market and respond to demand um, a little bit better. Thank you. Um, we have a question comment uh, by Trevor Gerdes, who is solution consultant at VMware. I really noticed a difference between retailers' ability to adapt during the recent lockdowns to how they engaged and serviced their customers. It seemed to be the mid-sized traditional retailers excelled, but the larger re retailers struggled to adapt. Things like one hour click and collect from some retailers to five day click and collect from large retailers. And I do do remember Trevor having um, yeah comments about Bunnings and, and the delay there. And then there's someone else um, from the audience who has written something similar. I really noticed the difference between retailers' ability to adapt during... Oh, sorry, Trevor just repeated that. Sorry about that. So do you have any comments um, about the uh, mid-sized traditional retailers versus larger ones and their ability to, to be agile and adapt? Yeah, look, I, I think it's not really related to size. It's more related to supply chain model and um, innovation and agility generally. So if I'm thinking about hardware, that is the at one end of the scale, the most uh, China-centric um, supply chains you could imagine. So they're ordering, you know, from the lowest cost supply, it's coming slowly from China. If you have a supply chain shock like we've just had, um, they take a long time to recover. The, um, the uh, industries, the, sorry, the retailers that could be more agile 
are the ones with uh, the ability to get their hands on supply a little bit better. So they were more uh, agile in that ability. Um, there were certain groups took um, speculative punts on buying extra inventory before the pandemic really got going and they benefited from that. Again, I won't mention names, but um, they've been in the, the press um, uh, extolling that. Um, but some of the bigger companies in QSR, for example, uh, McDonald's and Domino's were two of the most innovative and um, best perform in last mile companies we had during the pandemic. And at the other end of the scale, um, uh, some small businesses, um, there's one near where I live in Balmain, Maine called Nutty. They had no online presence whatsoever, and they sell these vegan, um, gluten-free treats, and donuts and cakes and things like that. Um, they just turned their business on their head um, during the pandemic and grew it when many others had to shrink or were going out of business. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's the nature of the supply chain and the ability to innovate, which were the, were the denominators or the deciding factors on who performed well in last month. Yes, um, and certainly um, customers that uh, VMware is supporting right now. Um, so final question, and uh, it will require you to take out your crystal ball, Gareth. If Alibaba came out of SARS, who is the next thing to come out of COVID? Yeah, so look, I don't have a crystal ball, I'm just a shopkeeper, but I'll give you a couple of tips that I've seen that, that um, were really good. Um, firstly, online grocery. So um, there's a brand in the US called Joker, J-O-K-R. It's actually German, but it launched, it's been in Europe for a while. It launched in the US in 2019, 2020. Um, um, and what they do is they're a supermarket, but what's interesting is their supply chain model. So you order online from Joker, they have a distribution center like everybody else has a distribution center, but that distribution center feeds very small dark stores in neighborhoods. So what Joker has done is they bought up retail or leased retail storefronts on strips next to where people live. They plastered Joker marketing material on their windows, but they run mainly bicycle couriers out, out of those stores, they offer 20 minute delivery of groceries now. Mm. So I think the winners, one of the winners will be those, um, those supply chain models that bring um, stock closer to customers and deliver really quick. Um, that's one. I had another one in mind. Um, yeah. Similar to Milk Run. Um, we have yeah. something similar here. It's called Milk Run. It's just uh, started. The other one, I think, is a brand called Wayfair. We've got Temple and Webster in Australia, which actually were originally part of Wayfair. The idea of ordering furniture online was not something most of us considered uh, before mm -hmm. the pandemic, but now a lot of us have got used to it. So I think online furniture generally will be another um, category we'll see uh, emerge online. Uh, Wayfair have had a fantastic pandemic. Interesting. Well, thank you very much. Um, so to conclude, 
uh, a global pandemic, changing customer expectations and sustainability concerns are definitely redefining consumer goods and retail space. We have seen that retail companies must have reliable and secure connectivity as well as AI generated data in order to predict and adapt in a changing world. As a shift from simply running supply chains to being more customer intuitive um, to customers' requirements and predict, predict customer expectations if they want to stay relevant and competitive. So thank you very much, Gareth, for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, everyone, uh, I think you can get uh, Gareth's book on, on uh, Booktopia. Um, and if you would like more um, to know more about VMware and its partners and how we can assist with SD-WAN and SASE, don't he hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I'm Fiona Dusku and I am SASE Sales Specialist at VMware. And um, we look forward to seeing you at the next uh, series uh, held by um, VMware. So thank you very much, uh, Gareth, from Think Uncommon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Have a lovely day.